Uh, it's not a new series, but it's talking about the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. And it's coming from the book of Isaiah, the 13th chapter and the 14th verse, where we got our pilot scriptures from. And it says, Who had directed the Spirit of the Lord, of being his counselor, taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? That wisdom, and that's why when it tells us the Bible can make us, or the Scriptures can make us wise unto salvation, because he wants us to profit and be in health. And some of the things that the Word of God teaches directly impinges upon our secular life in such a way that we see it vividly, even though it could be some people in, in the secular life could speak wisdom or speak counsel unto us. But it's God, ultimately, God's counsel or God's sends a person to speak into our lives. And so I entitled the study, Receiving Counsel. We have to be aware of who we're receiving counsel from and of. Now, that scripture says that we're reading, uh, the 13 and 14 verse, it says, Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, had taught him? That's a rhetorical question because no one can teach God. Uh, He wouldn't inquire of us to do anything, you know, because no one can have an idea or thought outside of God that God's wisdom wouldn't have thought of before. With whom took he counsel and instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding? I think that's one of the attributes of God that is wisdom and his understanding and that he's above us all he's beyond his creation he created the creation let's look at God's ultimate ultimate purpose for man or what his plan is and there's no when God makes a plan there's no plan A, plan B, plan C if this happened and if that happened it happens just the way God has designed it to happen so it's going according to his purpose. That's where we look at sovereignty of God. God is sovereign, and he's sovereign over his creation. He's in total control. Nothing is outside of his understanding or control or his providence. Let's look at the book of Genesis, the first chapter, in the 26th verse, before he made man. He's, this is the counsel. This would be the counsel of his will. I guess I'll read that in the Amplified of Things. It magnifies it to the point of a little bit more understanding of what I'm getting at here. It says, Then God said, Let us. And you remember I told you when he said, Let us make man in our image. Who was he talking to at that time? If it was just God, who was he talking to? This is his counsel here. This is the Godhead, the family, the Elohim. That's who he's speaking to. In other words, that's God's statement to the Son. In other words, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
the other person of the Godhead, which is the Holy Spirit. So that's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's their counsel that they would make man in their image and in their likeness. Now, as we look at this, it says, according to our image, according to our, uh, after our liking. But the first part of that verse is, in our image. Image is an icon, a, a likeness of. It says, after our likeness. And when it says after his likeness, he's not meaning a physical likeness. He's not meaning a physical likeness of man. And that's why, you remember I told you, we think, talked about the word anthropomorphic yesterday. Anthropomorphism, which is a system. In other words, where we give God attributes of man or talk in terms of the attributes of man applying it to God, like God has arms or fingers or the mouth of God, whereas God is spirit. So there we can't have an image of God. Jesus came the express image of God. That's why he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we're not trying to think. You remember, also I said it was a concept. Just think of it as a concept, God being a concept. In other words, you can have a faulty concept of God or you can have the correct concept of God that he gives to you. He gives you the correct concept of you. And so, it's but a spiritual personality is what he's making us a personification of who he is. In other words, remember I told you Satan is a malevolent force. In other words, it's a force of evil. And when they talk about Satan, he's talking about the adversary. He is an adversarial spirit. And that is in the book of New Testament, the New Testament books, Satan is personified. In other words, evil is personified. It's called the devil. When you call somebody a devil, they're a personification of evil. You're not thinking of terms of a man with red pitchfork in his tail. You're saying that that person is wicked and evil. That's you, you incarnate evil in who you are. It's a personification of evil. So, when he's making us in his likeness in his image, not necessarily in our in the physical image, so our weight, our facial structure, the color, any of those things has not to do with being in the image and likeness of God. He's saying a moral likeness and a spiritual personality. That's why Jesus Christ embodied God. In other words, it says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. His characteristics, his character, all of that, his attribute, it displayed who God was. And that's why somebody said, well, that's not, you can tell he's not his son because he's not doing the things that his father does. He's not like his father. But when somebody say you're the spitting image of your father, a lot of times they're not talking about <coughs> physically, but they mean your demeanor, your character, your the, the way you act, in other words, the way you carry yourself or whatever. But if we're extremely physical, we could be talking about the physical makeup. But here God is talking about a spiritual makeup of man.
He says, let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and over the entire earth, and over everything that creeps and crawls. So herein is the counsel of God, what he determined a purpose. And when you carry out counsel, you talking with others, it's just like I tell you the other day that the church has a plurality of elders to run the church. That's who manages uh, uh, is over God's church. He had set elders in. In other words, they have thoughts and opinions or whatever. And after they get together, if a group of men get together, say four or five men, with their ideas and notions, if they are godly men, they should come up with the direct or the correct way of running the church, of managing the church. Because it's not their person or their personalities they're thinking of. It's for the good of the church. That's what the deacons do a lot of times that you, you'll notice in the New Testament. As it filtered down, a lot of them don't call them elders, but they're saying the deacons do these things. But the deacons should be men of sound mind and sound judgment or whatever, and that's why would disqualify a whole lot of people from being deacons in a church. Those are the ones who thinking it's just like the father in the family and he talks to other men or whatever, but he's making correct decisions, and those decisions can't be just for him. It's for the betterment of his children. It's for the betterment of the whole family as a whole, considering each individual family member. And so that's why I said God says, who had he counseled with? It's no one he could sit down and counsel with. That's why when he approached Job in the book of Job and he says, gird up your loins like a man, answer me, and, uh, and you know, answer me these things. Well, the question he was asking Job, Job has no knowledge or uh, understanding of. That's why a lot of times the grown people would, would tell young people to be quiet when you hear grown folks talking because we don't want to hear your input because you you have a, input that's lacking of understanding is not a mature input that you're saying. You don't have the years experience of doing this or whatever so we don't want, we're not going to bring that into the conversation. That's why in the book of First uh, Timothy 3rd chapter in the 6th verse says that the the when you ordain an elder or bishop or putting someone over the church it says not a novice, lest being filled up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Well, when you establish in a church or appoint an elder or someone to lead or run the church, it shouldn't be a young person, a newcomer or whatever. That's why, you know, a lot of people talk about the childhood preaching, this young preacher or whatever. Most churches frown on that because, like they say, you still wet behind the ears. How can you preach or teach and everything and you you don't have a family. You never had a family. That's why some of the criteria of being elders and everything, that they be married, they be men of sound mind or whatever. Because you can't give us the correct input. That input that you're giving us is not a temperate input. So that's one of the things. And if we go to the book of Acts, the 15th chapter of Acts where they had the council when they were getting ready to determine just what rules were they allowed to Gentiles in the church or whatever. 
They call it the Jerusalem Council, and it starts in the book of Acts, the first chapter of Acts, and it goes all the way through the 29th verse. It says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except uh, ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Wherefore, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. Because people were bringing in different teachings or doctrines or understandings of the way they interpreted scriptures. And the church has to speak with one mind. The same mind that was in Christ Jesus. And it can't be a question of this is right over here but it's not right over there. It can't be right in the church is Catholic. In other words, it's universal. What holds true here should hold true in New Guinea. It should hold true in New Zealand. It should hold true in any part of the world because there's only that one truth. But they were allowing other doctrines and teachings in, and that's when they had the Council of Jerusalem. So you'll see that the group of people will call a council that had this council, but there's no body of men that can sit and tell God or instruct God in anything or add anything to God. That's what happened. That's how we got the Sabbath, the Catholic Church, and some others decided because of the resurrection and different things, the way they were interpreting the Bible, that they would change the day of the Lord to Sunday. But that's human philosophy, that's human wisdom. We should be weary of those things. I brought an article here today about Roswell pastor reacts to 70 churches in Georgia disaffiliating from the United Methodist Church. And this was dated last week sometime. Uh, and it was Pastor Glenn Hedigan was in Athens Thursday night at the North Georgia Conference voted to allow 70 churches to disaffiliate themselves from the United Methodist Church. And I tell you, that was going to be one of the things of division in the last days or whatever. The reason this church was dividing and part of the Methodist Church was that because the Methodist organization was allowing homosexuality, uh, whatever they call that name, I'm not too familiar with the name, LGB, LGBTQ inclusion. And it's like I said, something that God has called an abomination or disallowed, the church can't allow. So it's these 70 churches in Georgia, these 70 churches that's in that denomination says, well, look, we'll have to disaffiliate ourselves with the church at this portion. Like a lot of, a lot of people have left the Southern Baptist, a lot of people have left the, a lot of evangelical and mega churches after the last election because of Donald Trump. In other words, we can't allow through the counsel of somebody else for groups to get together and say we're all the same, we all got children, and God made them this way and accept that or whatever. That's the counsel of men disallowing what God had said is so. 
that that can't ever be so, and it won't ever be so, not in this life, nor the next life, or the life to come. If God said it, it's fixed. That's what it is. So how can a group of men get together and determine, well, we're going to make the Sabbath this, or we will get together and allow same-sex marriages of whether or not do these things. That's why when he was giving Peter, he said all authority and power was given unto him, and he had gave the church the ability, the power to bind and loose. You can't loose something that God has bound. It has to be done according to the word of God. That's the ultimate counsel. God doesn't seek counsel from men. And that's one of the things with Job, that Job stood and he covered his mouth, as I was saying, because he was in the wrong audience there. You can't have kids. How you going to get God straight on what God's doing? How you going to straighten God out on this? A counsel with God. And what God was supposed to say, oh, Job, I made a mistake and I said this to Satan and I shouldn't have did this to you. I shouldn't have allowed this. God is not a man that he should repent. He's not going to change his mind. We can't change God's mind. Uh, then if you go to Nave's topical Bible, a lot of times you look at a conversation, you look at something, uh, and you go to Nave's and you find counsel in that C-O-U-N-S-E. General scriptures concerning counsel. What's the wisdom book? What we say is a wisdom book of the Bible, one of them. Proverbs. Proverbs is one of the wisdom book of the Bible. So let's look at a few scriptures here that Proverbs talks about according to wisdom, about wisdom and how lacking or deficient we are or where, how can we get wisdom? I didn't include this. I'll talk about it uh, Wednesday night when we come or whatever. But you can sit or be with the wrong people and your ideals and everything could be wrong. Uh, in Book of Psalms, the first very first verse of the very first psalm says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standing in the way of sinners, nor sitting in the seat of the scornful. In the what? In the counsel. In other words, what did your neighbor come over and tell you? Oh, girl, I wouldn't do this. If I was you, I would. Okay, well, I don't follow your advice. I'm not looking for your advice or input on that. And, you know, I'll listen at it. A lot of times you hear people or whatever. But as some people say, it's in one ear and out the other ear. Because looking at your life or the life you live or whatever, why am I to accept anything from you? You're an ungodly person. Un but that's what I say about being godly and about being a child of God. We're not God, but we should look at it that being not God, we have to listen at criticism because sometimes criticism is helpful or whatever. So even I tell you, it's, it's a counterbalance situation of when to listen at counsel and when to receive counsel and when the, you can hear someone. It's just like... It was talking about homosexuality. Okay, well, you said that's the way you are, and, and God made you that way or whatever. I, I don't, if you don't want to hear my preaching and teaching, we don't want to get into that argument, but I'm going to yet preach and teach what I say or whatever, not to be rude or anything to you. I don't have to accept that argument or that, that, that fact that you're basing that in. 
You understanding what I'm saying? You listen at your wife. You listen at your husband. Uh, we submit ourselves to one another. But if a person, don't go to sleep on me now. If a person comes in and they're saying the wrong thing, if a person is known to not, you, you didn't you didn't hear the people or you didn't see people that are known to always offer counsel or advice, but they don't have good sense really. Yeah. You know, so you don't have to keep telling them that. The sign of that is they always actually offering advice that people don't take. But let's go into Proverbs here. Proverbs one and five says, "A wise man will hear, and will increase learning." And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. So you go kind of listen, and there's different people I sit around and talk with, listen at or whatever. But there's a lot of people I don't really waste my time with or whatever because very seldom we anything sensible come out of their mouths or whatever. But the people you want to be around is people that has wise uh, have a counsel that has profitability to it but it's godly. You understand what I'm saying? It's it's not ungodly because ungodly people can tell you things, but it it may be a personal advantage. It may advantage you personally or whatever, but it's not the right thing because it's not according to the word of God. And so I say, so we have to be attained to godly counsel. Give instructions, Proverbs 99, give instructions to a wise man and he will become even wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase his learning. So those people that can accept counseling and learn of counseling or whatever, between men are men that look unto God and based their growing as we were talking about before we started, before you start as going here and reading as much as the Bible and everything, it's a lot that you didn't know, but now that you've grown, now that you took those things and heard them and learned and profited from, you see that this works and that's what you hunger and thirst to hear, the right counsel, the right thing. Because there are people forever hearing but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. It's a lot of people. Just imagine how large the United Methodist Church is, but it's a lot that it hadn't attained to the right knowledge. The 70 churches there, the ones that's correct, is that we can't even let this into the church. These Trojan horses can't come in here. You can come into the church. You can't hold the office or position and we are saying that that's wrong and that's an abomination, that's a perversion, and that you have to be looking for repentance or whatever. That's not an acceptable lifestyle. It's like Paul was saying to put the guy out of the Corinthian church that was going with his mother's, with his father's wife. You remember Paul said, well, I didn't determine what to do. So fornicators and adulterers and all these practices you can be, you could come into the church, but you're not a member in good standings. In other words, the preaching and teaching has to come at you. I've had a lot of people and ministers that tell me, you know, I've talked with them and you'll see them and everything. That's why 
mega churches and things don't preach on adultery and fornication or whatever because that's what most of their members are involved in. Lusting and all these things. All that has to be condemned in the flesh and that's what you're trying to drive out of, out of the church. Those people who hold on to and love the deeds of the flesh, love the working of the flesh, love the lust of the flesh. That those are not hating themselves. So this should be a warning in that this was should be preached consistently and these words should ham out, ham out. You're trying to drive that out of the church and if the individual came loose from these things, it should drive the individual away from the church. It should be a mighty hot seat if he's sitting in there and doing the things he's doing. It's a reason the preacher's preaching what he's preaching on because he's hammering at somebody. Somebody's doing something wrong there. Proverbs uh, 12, 11, and 14 says, Where there is no wise or intelligent guidance, the people fall and go off course like a ship without a helm, but in abundance of wise and godly counselors are their victory. Uh, the living says, Without wise leadership, a nation is in trouble, but with good counselors there is trouble. Going back to the Amplified, where there's no intellectual or intelligent or wise guidance or leadership, the people fall off course. So some says without vision, the people perish. In other words, if there's no one understanding the word of God, you have the blind leading the blind. That must be a goal or a way or a standard or something set. And then go off course like a ship. That's why they use the analogy like a ship without a helm. Is that some churches start correct. You could start the right way. But veering off course through life, you can inch off course. You can drift off course a line a little bit you that's the devil taking an inch. That keep losing that inch, and pretty soon you don't have the correct standard. It's way away from the plumb line. It's way away from being level. That's how a building falls. It's over a period of time. A lot of people apostatize over a period of time. When a lot of relationship begins with women and men being friends with one another. Before long, they're lovers. Before long, they've divorced their wives or husband and married that individual. It happens over a course of time. It doesn't just happen overnight. That's why it says if you lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery because this act has already started. Proverbs 12 and 15 is a, a regular one we use. It says, for the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearken unto counsel is wise. You can tell a person that don't have good sense of whatever, they'll hear what you say, but they still will be right in what they're doing. It says the, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. In other words, he's going to have a reason for why, an excuse for why he's doing the things the way he is. He's not going to say, oh, I was wrong. That's not the right way. He's going to say, yeah, that, what you're saying is right or whatever, but the reason I was doing this is because of this and that there. You understand what I'm saying? It's going to, he's going to make an excuse that there is a reason 
And that's why it says the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. He don't see anything wrong with what he's doing, even though someone is telling him that's not right. And that's what happens with the scriptures. That's what's happening with this homosexuality thing. The preachers are saying, this is an abomination of God. You are dying go to hell. But they're using the argument. Yeah, we understand that or whatever. But we truly love one another. Well, actually, God made us this way. All of their arguments are right because why? In their own eyes, God has turned them over to a reprobate mind. They can't come to understanding. They can't see that they're wrong. That's an outright rejection of God, a rebellion of what he said. So what part of the word of God is true? If that's not true that we're saying and that the word of God says, just because that part pertains to you sinning against God, where does it get to where you're wrong at? That's why it's hard to, if someone argues with you, it's hard when an argument, like I say, just think over the number of years you've been talking to people, arguing with someone, and all of a sudden they stopped and say, you know what, you're right, I'm wrong, I, I don't understand that, I was wrong. That very seldom occurs. Without consultation and wise advice, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they're established and succeed. In the multitude of counselors, in other words, with a lot of consultation, if you're getting ready to go in business or you're getting ready to do anything, you get other people's input on it. Man, I'm about to buy this house and this is what I get. They say, well, what the interest rate? You might want to change that. Get advice and input on it. That's the problem with a lot of young people. Before they get married or whatever, they don't want to ask their parents, what do you think about it? Used to be before you got married, the, the wife or the mother would interview the boyfriend or the girlfriend, would, and the father would interview the man that's going to marry his daughter or whatever. What do you think about this? But a lot of times, the people go and do things they already didn't plan to do this. This was already in their mind. Their mind was made up or whatever. Uh, the other, well, let me not say that or whatever. Let me just leave that up. But anytime, a lot of times people want to see what you think going to matter, but you already made your decision. That's what you're going to do anyhow, whether I say anything or not. you just trying to get me to agree with what you're doing and to affirm what you're doing is right. You're not asking for the sake of, well, I might not get that one if, if you think it's not right and I think you have a better insight than me on this. But it's not like that. That's why I was talking about counsel and telling y'all about counsel here. This is a way that we're very uncomparable to God is that he's creating this within us that we're not so easily swayed or or persuaded because he says try the spirits to see whether they be of God. In other words, through your strengthening and learning the word of God and you're walking the way of God, you're able to start making correct judgments. You're able to overcome the devil or overcome the world of Babylon. Babylon is the world. So you can't be physically taken out of the world. But is preaching and teaching and going to church helping you make better decisions, making you a more wiser counsel? Because after a while, 
you should be counseling others. That's why it has it in the book of Hebrews that when you need to be teachers, you need teaching yourself because you still don't have good sense. With all of the time that you've been in the scriptures and walking in the word of God or whatever, you still hadn't grown. That's carnality because of the love of the world or the things of the world. And later in this verse, if we keep on in here, when God's talking about understanding, he talks about the children of Israel in Babylon. These are the people in Babylon. These are supposedly God's people that's been in the world so long and they didn't got so wise. You, you, you know, I've told you about people get in the church and they get slicker than the pastor. They get slicker than anybody else in the church. These are unconverted people. These are people that brought the ways in the world. They hadn't repented, hadn't turned to God, but they think that they are Christians and that they are wise. Verse 27 of that 40th chapter says, why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speaketh, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from me from my God? Has thou not known, has thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, created the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding? You living a certain way of doing certain things, and you think, this is hidden from God that God doesn't see this or that his sovereignty doesn't comprehend what are you doing or how you're living that your wisdom is beyond that you could attribute anything to God remember I told you we as nothingness to God it's like your child coming up to you when he was five years old or something and you trying to get your car started or whatever. And he said, well, Dad, I know how to do that. Or, Mama, I can do that. I, I can show you how to cook a cake or whatever. Well, you get out of here. We don't even want to start on that. You know, some, it's we have nothing to offer there. And, well, I dealing with other church members, is that sometimes people offer counsel or advice. And where the problem comes in, it's not of the Lord. The motivation is not from the heart. Where can I? I had that here about the heart of the friend. Uh, Proverbs 27 and 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. So does the sweetness of a friend's counsel that comes from the heart. Uh, li the Living Bible says friendly suggestions are, are as pleasant as a perfume. If this person is motivated from their heart, in other words, to not a physical heart, not a secular heart, but if this is a converted person, that's why it says strengthen one another, or we should submit ourselves to one another. If this person's motivated from the heart and they offer counsel or say something to you, the spirit receives that and it strengthens you, and it will help you overcome, whether it's comfort or exhortation, or whether it's just saying it's going to be all right or whatever. But the motivation comes from the heart, and it has to be a heart of God, not a heart of the world, because there are those people that go around comforting everybody and saying things or whatever, and sometimes it's not called for it. It don't fit in that because it's natural. 
It's a natural affection. You see what I'm saying? It's a natural affection, so it doesn't fit because you being God, uh, a God-fearing person being made in God's image, you know that that's alien to what you are or who you are. In other words, the service industry where some people is polite. It's a lot of people always, well, how the wife or how the family is or whatever. Sometimes you don't even want anybody to ask you those questions or whatever because <laughs> it's just a way in. It's just part of being polite, a part of what the culture is. And I was telling you about the man at the time that says, I feel terrible or this happened. And I said, well, hold on. You said that. He said, well, you know, most times people can't catch that. That's why we have to stop using usefulisms, uh, using segues into a person or whatever with common cliches of accident, how this person or that person, you know, most of the time my, my brothers or people ask how my son doing or whatever, I say, well, I don't know, I hadn't talked to him in a few days or whatever. I hadn't talked to him in a while. Because if you have a chronic illness or something's wrong with you, you don't want to always somebody to say, how you need or how this doing? It's torn, terrible. What you want me to give you? A negative conversation? Well, but don't ask me those things. Some things shouldn't be asked. A lot of people, you know, my sister, they well, how, how Patricia, how this and that, that. Okay, well, let's find something else. Let's talk about something else. That's good to open with that in a worldly thing or a worldly way, but come from the heart. I hope, I hope people are not taking it that way. It's good to greet people. It's good to ask people. And, but those are just segues into what... Are you understanding what I'm saying? I hope this is getting through. Because I know you don't do it. You know, a lot of people don't do it. And don't ask me a lot of, you know, it's a lot of people. Don't ask me about this person and that person because those are just segues in. And you don't want to, it's, it gets to be just words to be words. And more or less friends be more friends with one another with a lack of words. Job's friends came with a multitude of words, a whole lot of sayings, and it frustrated Job. It, it made Job more hateful than anything. Even though some of what they're saying could have been part of Scripture, part of the way people conduct themselves with one another. But I think it was a much better friendship when they just sat there the seven days without saying nothing. Sometimes it's better for people not to say anything to you at all. It's better just to come put your hands around me because when you open your mouth, boy, you didn't get off my nerves. Yeah. And it happens with my relatives and other people and everything. Well, okay, that's nice to say, but that didn't bother me, you know. It vexed me because, like I say, Jesus thought in a different way. And it's something about words, the power of words and everything that we should be slow to speak or slow to say things and man so counsel or who's saying something a lot of times you could say something trying to be helpful and sometimes the reason we reject that is because you just that type of person so I'm, boy this is a hard subject to teach I can't but sometimes even secular good counsel 
is rejected because of who's giving it. Josiah, God had told Josiah he was going to go to his grave in peace. Pharaoh Nico, I think, uh, Pharaoh Nico uh, at the Battle of Carchemish, I think, was fighting against Babylon, and Josiah came there in Avena or whatever. And Pharaoh Nico told him, Well, the Lord has sent me to do this, Josiah. Leave it alone. Don't bother with strife that don't belong to you. But Josiah intervened and Pharaoh Nico killed him. God allowed him to kill one of the most righteous, truthful kings that we ever had. He didn't listen at the counsel of what Pharaoh was saying. That God had sent him to do what he was doing. So sometime an ungodly person could offer counsel, but the old saying that all old people used to have, even a blind hog root up on something every once in a while. Even the most crazy fool could say a good something right every once in a while. So that's why I say we're listening to people, but sometimes stop offering up so much stuff because it's like scatter shots. You shoot enough bullets out there, it's going to hit something. But people get tired of hearing those bullets. That's what happens with the scene about the boy that cried wolf. He came up here saying something so many times to when he really was truthful and coming saying wolf, wolf, the people didn't listen that. So as a preacher, as a teacher, as church members and everything, we're being made in God's image. So our speech has to be seasoned with salt. Instead of just saying something, what did you say after you were praying? Remember I said, well, that's a real good prayer or whatever. I don't know what was going on in your heart or mind or whatever, but the prayer actually touched me. So what happens is that's how wisdom and words are. We want to hold our words to when we do say something, it does mean something. Now, I think of... Beat that horse as much as I can beat him. Rejecting wisdom. Rejection of wisdom. Now, God God gives us wisdom through his word, and the wisdom of God comes through his preachers, through teachers, and like I said, through all types of different devices. Sometimes even the wicked would say something. So, even though God punishes Abraham for listening to Sarah's advice for going into Hagar. He did tell Abraham to listen to Sarah when Sarah was talking about putting Hagar out. So you see why I say you can't just take a person and shut somebody out permanently. You have to be able to hear things and have to accept the good and reject the bad. You have to be able to filter things in. You understand what I'm saying? You have to do these things that's being made in God. That's why God allowed Adam to partake of the tree because all of that was part of his purpose and plan. He foresaw sin. And this was going to help him produce character and a moral stability, a moral character into his people. If if you reject God's wisdom, and that's coming from a lack of his word, now, this is very long that I, I gave you the King James Version, I gave you the Amplified Version, and I gave you the Living Version. 
all of those from verse 24 to verse 33. This comes from Proverbs, the first chapter of Proverbs. This was the wisdom of God. Now, wisdom is personified here as a woman, as a feminine entity of God. Some people call it the Sophia of God. But this is God that he's been calling out, whether it's the young people, the old people, to whoever it was. God is always speaking to us. Are we alert or are we falling asleep? That's why it says, watch. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. We go about sometime, we be so busy that we pass up the burning bushes that God has placed in our lives. There's a lot of things that we should have given another old analogy. We should have slowed down and stopped the smell of roses. We get too busy for these things. This is wisdom because of those that have rejected God's wisdom. And listen how wisdom reacts. Wisdom shouts in the streets for a hearing. She calls out to the crowds along Main Street and to the judges in their courts and to everyone in all of the land. In other words, in the courts of justice now where there's justice, there's injustice. There's so much injustice. But the wisdom of God has been speaking through various faucets for us to hear and understand. So this is a warning from God that the nation, that the world, that the people, God has been speaking, but we've become dull of hearing. We hadn't heard the Spirit of God because maybe it came from somebody that wasn't of the same race we were. They may not have been of the same religion we was, of the belief system. But what they're saying was true, and God delivered this, even though it be through Balaam's ass, you should have listened. Balaam running head forward and hear a mule turn around and tell him something, and, and he... He's so involved in the world and getting money and what he does, he doesn't notice that he's talking to a donkey. Isn't something strange about that? He talked to God. He talked to Peter. He says, Peter, you're saying all this before the, before the cock crows thrice. You'll deny me three times. It happened, didn't it? Through that cock crowing, that's when Peter went out sorrowful because with that cock crowing, he realized what Jesus had told. What it is that's shaking us to life. What it is that brings us to a knowledge that God was trying to say something. I, I remember, you know, and I, I'm not going to beat on these things. I, I'll keep going. It says, and to everyone in all the land, you simpletons, she cries out. How long, how long will you go on being fools? How long will you scuff at wisdom and fight the facts? Come here and listen to me. I'll pour out the spirit of wisdom upon you and make you wise. That's what the word of God is, and that's what I'm going to talk about Wednesday night. The spirit of wisdom. That's a spirit that we need, and that's the spirit that the word of God gives do you think you're a little bit more wiser today than you were 10 years ago in the things of God? 
And do, do people see that? Do, do you think people can see that? Do you think your relatives and, and people notice that there's something different? Something has happened here. He says, I, I have called you so often, but still you won't come. I have pleaded, but all in vain, for you have spurned my counsel and reproof. Someday you'll be in trouble and I'll laugh. Mock me, will you? I'll mock you. When a storm of terror surrounds you and when you are engulfed by anguish and distress, then I will not answer your cry for help. It will be too late, though you search for me ever so anxiously. For you closed your eyes to the facts and did not choose to reverence and trust the Lord, and you turn your back on me, spurning my advice. That is why you must eat the bitter fruit of having your own way and experience the full terrors of the pathway you have chosen. For you turn away from me to death. Your own complacency will kill you. Fools, but all who listen to me shall live in peace and have safety and be not made afraid. So that's an instance where God is consistently talking to us and we're not listening. Now, like I said, God's not sitting there in an audible voice like in the olden time they're saying they heard the voice of God. We're God's feet, hands, and things. God uses us. God speaks through, that's what I say, the attributes that are attributed to God. God spoke to Aeneas and Caiaphas, the high priest, when he said, must needs be one man die for the sins of the nation, then the whole nation would fall. That was a prophecy that Jesus was to die for the sins of the whole nation. So a lot of times we speak things. Have you ever spoken something and don't know why you said it or whatever? I was at a funeral preaching one time and I started preaching. Didn't know why I went there. God had allowed me. I drifted off into it. But then as the years and things go by, I see it was preaching to an individual that a repentance should be made in their life. I told them the eulogy has been preached, but here you did this. And so sometimes that, that sword comes out and it cuts us. It's very bitter or whatever. But God's not looking for your input on these things. He cuts and he draws blood a many a time. Sometimes it's a very dull knife that he cuts with. Sometimes it's so hurtful you hate to see your relatives or someone that's close to you. Hate to see them going through things, but you can't get too involved in that because that's God doing that because they wouldn't listen. Sometimes when people say, I've seen it and I got it, and you tried all your best, you have to turn loose because you can't be sucked down that vortex that they're going through. They've had their chance. They've had their opportunity. But going headlong, they wouldn't understand that God's talking to me. That girl I wanted to marry, that guy I wanted to marry, that car I wanted, that house or whatever it was, I was headlong for. I was like Balaam that I couldn't listen to the things and the signs around me, God was speaking to me all the time through these things. So we can't counsel God, but God is offering counsel to us, and he's offering wise counsel, and sometimes that counsel comes from a many a strange place. But that's why God's people become circumspect 
you start examining every little thing people say. That's why as you then grew older and more wise in God, people have a tendency to say less to you because they're going to say you have a, a, a tendency to make a mole out of a, a mountain out of a mole here, but it's very serious to say things you said and the things you've done because they have larger ramifications and consequences later. Uh, also, uh, Counselor in, in Nave's topical Bible here, Ahithophel was one of the wisest counselors it was. He was a man given good in war and given counsel in Absalom. He gave counsel to David and to Absalom. Absalom rejected the wise counsel of Ahithophel, but David had sent another smart man back, Hushai, to give Ahithophel to give Absalom the wrong counsel. So God's allowed David to send Hushai back, give Absalom the wrong counsel, and it caused Absalom defeat. Whereas if he'd have listened at the good counsel of Ahithophel, he would have captured David that night. God had David had prayed that he would mess up uh that he wouldn't listen at the counsel of Ahithophel. Listen at 2 Samuel, the 16th chapter, and the 23rd verse. And the counsel of Hithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the counsel of Hithophel, both with David and Absalom. He was a man known to speak the right counsel, to give you the right advice to do. You have to surround yourselves with good men that speak the right thing and that's what happens when you're a dictator or the wrong person. You don't want a man around you that's afraid of you, that's going to agree with you everything and not to show you the opposite side and not to stand up for what he thinks or what God's given him. That's the dictator trap. That's what Putin has fell in. That the people around him was afraid to tell him when he was wrong and what is wrong. And if you can't tell a person what's wrong, if I'm too close to you for you to tell me what's wrong, maybe we, we should part ways because you're not helpful to me. You don't need just yes people around you. A lot of people don't want people around them and they suck up, you know, what you call, anything you say, they go along with it. And that's what happened with the Trump administration. He had people around him that was afraid to tell him he was wrong. He spoke out against anybody that says, no, you're wrong. And here people, grown people, supposed to be wise, that are going along with this election fraud lie. Because why? You're afraid of one personality or one individual to say, well, no, that's not right. Counsel is, a, it, is set in certain ways. Uh, Joseph Arimathea was a counselor during his time during the Pharisees. That's the man that uh, inquired and wanted the body of Jesus. And the the counsels of God's purposes. The counsel of God's purposes. You remember I say God has a lot of purposes that he had counsel about. And that was, you weren't here at the beginning, but that was with the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's what he was counseling was his will, let us make man in our image. He's been continuing to do that. He hadn't altered that counsel. Jeremiah the 32nd chapter in the 19th verse says, God counsels are great, 
The Lord of hosts is his name, great in counsel and mighty in work. For thine eyes are open and upon all the ways of the Son of Men, to give every one according to the way to these ways and according to the fruit of his doing. So God sees all. And God gives you his counsel. In other words, this is thought out. This is to that counsel of what this determination, this is to be done. Just like the counsel that thy will be done, the, it, it was determined to turn Jesus over to murderous men to let them. It was the predeterminate counsel of God to deliver the Son up to be crucified. Those counsels had to be carried out. They are wonderful. They are immutable counsels. Psalm 33 and 11 says, But his own plan stands forever. His, his intentions are the same for every generation. God's intent and purposes remain the same. They don't alter. Man can't alter God's plan. He's not looking for input. And it's nothing we can do, no action, nothing we can carry out because all of this is in the wisdom and knowledge of God. It's already set. This is the only way that these can go. It's no plan B. Proverbs 19.21 There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord shall stand. So whatever that is in your mind and heart that you've thought of, the sovereignty of God has already thought that out and it stands. It's immutable. They are sovereign, and that's what we went over in verse 13. Isaiah 40, 13 and 14. The book of Daniel 435 says, All the inhabitants of the earth are, are regarded as nothing, but he does according to his will in the whole and in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you have done? Now that's it's Nebuchadnezzar saying that he had to learn through his pride and through his pompous acts and things that God's plan is sovereign no matter what we thought we've done that the inhabitants of the earth as, are as nothing what can you say to God to alter God to alter what he's doing that's what Job had to learn that's, that's, who is this that desires counsel with me stand up here you calling me on the carpet you go instruct you go Job said oh but if I had a mediator He's the mediator, but Jesus Christ is that mediator between God and man. He's the high priest. So what Jesus does, he comes to us, and Jesus gets us in line. That's what the church is for. That's what Jesus does. He's going to present us, but see, that's what the suffering and the thing. He died for our sins and everything, but these actions and things that's going on, Jesus has a tempered way because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. So whatever you're going, you going through, whatever you're losing, and like you said, you have to do this, you have to make an adjustment. God doesn't make an adjustment to us. We conform to his image, to his likeness, to his will. He, he has to break our will, break all our thoughts and desires. He gives us a new heart, a new way of thinking, new desires. It's just like your child thinks, if you don't break his will, he's going to rule over you one day. You have to break his little will. And that's why we're in such a, a fix as a nation is because we're sparing the rod. We have child children problems. 
we'll start this over Wednesday night, finish this, and just make it part two.